0: Alright, hello everyone and welcome to the sixth and final episode of season one of Ask the Elders Anything, the podcast from Fellowship Bible Church in which you can ask the elders anything. Today it's leftovers night. Mom is pulling out just whatever she found in the fridge and we're feasting on it. I'm going to be sitting down with Randy Brennies. And Tom Absher just kind of answering whatever questions were left after the first five episodes. So thank you for joining us. This is going to be an adventure. All right. Thanks for sitting down with me, gentlemen. We're addressing the leftover questions today. Kind of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, starting with a little bit of judgment in 2 Corinthians. So this is a, a question that we got from the one and only Janet Nickel. Shout out to her. She says, will Christians be judged by God? I thought he took all of our judgment. If so, what's going on in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10? And Janet actually didn't even submit this to the podcast originally. She had just kind of texted me to this, texted me this question one morning. And I said, hey, this is a great one. I bet other people have. Can we use it on the podcast? And she said, go for it. So I'm going to read that passage that is in question here. This is In 2 Corinthians, this is a section of the letter where Paul is, uh, he's talking about eschatology, what is going to happen to individuals after they die. So I'm actually going to start back in verse 6 for a little bit of context for this. He says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, meaning alive, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord So whether we are at home or away We make it our aim to please him And here's now the verse Now that you got a bit of the context That has really raised some of the questions for Janet For we must all appear Before the judgment seat of Christ Now remember he's writing to, to Christians here We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ So that each one Again very particular individual language May receive what is due For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So you're reading that in your devotions, it's like screech! Whoa, what's going on here? I thought Christ took all of our judgment. I don't have to fear anything for the judgment of God. What on earth is Paul talking about here where he says we have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? That's scary and get what is due to us. What is going on? You guys have any thoughts?
1: Well, one thing I would say just to start and I'll hand it over to Tom is that whenever you come to passages like this that are speaking about salvation, one of the things we can do is think we're talking about salvation of sin and the original justification of a believer when I was dead and now I've been made alive. And we can mix that up with sanctification, which is my ongoing living for Jesus and becoming more like Jesus, and God is refining me and purifying me. And then we have at the very end glorification where he makes us completely perfect, and we're ready for all things new in heaven and earth. And if you mix those up, is this a judgment of justification? Or is this a judgment of what I've done? Well, during the sanctification sanctification time, and I think that's what we're looking at here is what kind of life did I live for Jesus once I was saved? Hmm. So similar sort of
0: to what Paul talks about in first Corinthians, where you're uh, tested by fire and there's wood, hay and straw. There's also gold and precious stones, right? That there's some stuff we've done that's kind of worthless as, as Christians, but there's other things which are beautiful and precious for worthless stuff burned up. The precious stuff. Correct. You get rewarded for.
2: Right. We have to we have to make the division between our sin that Jesus took as as a judgment and. The works that we do after we've been saved, we don't always do things that are that are pleasing to God, which that verse is talking about.
1: Hmm.
2: And the the passage that you talk about, I guess, we'll just read because the Bible gives the answer. So oh, very good. Why don't we just read it? We're on the same wavelength. I like it. According to the grace, of, this is 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are good things, or wood, hay, or straw, not so good things, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, this judgment day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up like wood, hay, and straw, he will suffer loss though. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we don't lose our salvation, Hmm. but our, our works will be done. So we want to do things that are pleasing to the Lord. Absolutely.
0: And it's interesting, especially as you go through the whole new Testament, this is actually what I texted Janet on the day she had, she had asked me about this was, the, the the New Testament is not shy about putting rewards as an incentive and a motive in front of believers. You know, Jesus says uh, in in Matthew that um, you know where your treasure is, there your your heart will be also. And that as we give our money generously, that that actually is heaping up rewards for us in the life to come. That where you know thieves can't break in to steal, and and moth and rust will not corrupt. I mean, that's pretty clear. And I think. You know what Paul's talking about here is, is is what theologians sometimes refer to as the bema judgment, which is a different judgment than the great white throne judgment. The bema was this seat in the town square where rulers would kind of deliberate over civil cases and 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 whatnot. And that's actually when Paul says, you know, the judgment seat. It's the word bema right there in in Greek, and this would be in a judgment. Uh, for the allocation of rewards for believers not a judgment uh where you are are punished for your sin Jesus has taken all of that but this is where uh similar to I think this is where you get the well done my good and faithful servant and uh, there's a ton of debate about the nature of these rewards I love Jack Wilsey's um thought that he explained to me when I was in seminary with him that these are honor based rewards they they're not They're best thought of, especially in the honor shame context in which the Bible was written as these are the bestowal of honor, which, again, is honor that really is just reflected straight back to God, because any good work we've done, we've done through God's spirit working in us. So this is not for uh, the spotlight to shine and say, wow, how great is Tom Absher? We're going to see Tom's rewards and think how great is God working through Tom Absher and and what he has done. We're not going to be jealous uh, we're not going to be full of envy, and, and heaven's not going to be a little less glittery for you because you got lousy rewards. But heaven, I do think, will be sweeter for you because of these
2: rewards. And and I think also, if you look at the metaphor that the Bible uses about them being crowns, we're gonna mm. we're gonna lay them all at his his feet anyway. So yeah. anything that he that I get honored for, it goes yeah. right back to him, and that shows the heart of that the the heart that God really wants anyway is. Our motive is
1: to glorify him, not myself. So. And gratitude, especially when you remember Ephesians 2.10, it says he's the one who's prepared the works for us to walk in. How can I take credit for something someone else prepared me to do, then equipped me to do, yeah. mm-hmm. empowered me by the Holy Spirit to do? I'll just say thank you for letting me be a part of your grand plan. Exactly.
0: And there should be a word of encouragement. I know there's a lot of people in our church body who do a lot of unseen service and do a lot of unknown unseen sacrifice and carry heavy burdens. And you think, man, does anyone ever notice this? Well, the answer is probably not, but God notices all of that. And so all you moms, maybe you're listening to this at two in the morning because you're up with a crying baby. uh, Just know that God is seeing your service to your neighbor, to your family, and nothing that you do that is giving God glory and honor will go unrewarded or unnoticed. And I think that's very comforting and motivating for all of us. All right. Question number two here, this is this gets to um, a little trickier, and I know this is also, it, it's it's an abstract question with a theological biblical answer, but it's also highly personal for people. So there's a pastoral aspect to this as well. So I'll go ahead and read it. The questioner asks, how do we know that children and babies go to heaven when they die? And I think this would include babies pre-born or young age or young age children. He, go, he goes on, I've heard of the age of understanding, in quotes, also I think sometimes referred to as the age of accountability among children, but I can't think of where it comes from. The example of David and Bathsheba's first child doesn't convince me, because even though David seemed certain that his child was in heaven, he wasn't claiming to be speaking for God. And I think what he's referencing there. Is um, something that we often quote in, in in giving comfort to people that they can know that you know their baby goes to be with God after they die. Is um, David's son died as as a judgment for his sin in which he killed Uriah and lied and you know covered it up and all of this other stuff as judgment of that. Uh, his baby died, and David in his mourning, he's really sad about it, but he he acknowledges in his prayer of mourning that uh, you know I will not go to you where or. Uh, you will not come to me anymore, my son, but I will go to you, which which is, of course, David looking forward someday to his eventual death and then joining his son in an afterlife state state, which is presumably in the presence of God. There seem to be a lot of indications of that, particularly in the Psalms that David had that idea of of eschatology. So uh, he's saying that question, that passage for him, it doesn't work for him as a certainty proof text type of thing, because he's saying well, David could have been kind of mistaken in that. There's a lot of thing in biblical narratives that the characters say, which could be mistaken. You know, they are not inerrant in what they are saying in the story, even though the story itself is inerrant saying, it, you know, David truly said this. But is what David said here truly something that we can seize and, and take on as, as hope? Uh, as Christian believers today who maybe have lost a child. So so what would you guys say to a person asking this question, both in general and specifically in response to that Bible
1: question? Well, one thing I would say is if you're dealing with someone who's mourning the loss of a child, you wouldn't launch right into all yeah. of your logical, biblical answers to why they should have comfort necessarily. But at some point you would. But I, I want to start with something that I think is even more important is the bigger, larger theological concepts when you approach this question, number one is there are not a ton of things in the Bible that give us 100% certainty. So you have to remember that. So we may not be able to turn to a specific text that says, thus saith the Lord, every single child comes to be with me in heaven. Well, if I can't find that, then where do I turn next? Well, I need to turn to the most clear passages in the Bible that tell me, who God is and what he's like, is he good? Is he loving? Is he trustworthy? And as you've said in, uh, before, I think it's from Genesis 19 where Abraham says, will not the Lord God do what yeah. is right? Yeah. And the implication is yes, he will always do what is right. Mm-hmm. So I have that framework to start from because I have the whole entire Bible that clearly lays that out. Then when I come to the, the this specific question, where do I turn? Well, one of the passages is one that you just quoted. And there are probably several several other passages, but they're not going to have complete clarity or certainty on answering this. But actually, I was just reading through First Kings recently and came across a verse, and it was talking about Jeroboam's family because he was more sinful and he provoked the Lord to anger. And so the Lord basically said, everybody in your family is going to die and they're going to get eaten up on by dogs or they're going to be thrown on the side of the road and all these things. But then he comes to this one child in his house and it says... Can you give me a chapter and verse here this Are is you in chapter, 1 Kings 19? This is 1 Kings 14. Okay, 14. And it says, Now arise, go to your house. This is verse 12. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. All Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he alone of Jeroboam's family will come to the grave, because in him, something good was found toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. So the Lord can see, as you mentioned earlier, the Lord can see everyone's heart. The Lord is good. He's right. He's just he's loving. So we can trust in that even when we can't find super clear verses that help us to know whether our child is has gone to heaven or at what age Do they understand truths and can accept them or reject them? Which I think Tom has a good answer for that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's uh,
2: the other verses um, out of Matthew 18 and 19, where Jesus is talking about the children. He says, hey, bring the children here. Don't 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 don't, uh, push them away. Let them come to me. Let me bless them for such are the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And it's again, it's a metaphor of of we have to come to, to God with childlike faith. Trusting him because we can't do it on our own. Children are dependent on their parents. Yeah. Um, but does, you know, it just helps us to understand the heart of Jesus towards children. I mean, he doesn't condemn them. Yeah. He, he uh, says that we should be like them. So the other one is, uh, you know, age of, age of understanding or accountability or, or, or whatever. I guess the best way to look at it is, you know, not, you know, what, what gets me to heaven is what, prevents me from getting to heaven, and that's rejecting God. Mm. And how does a baby reject God? I mean, you know, they're not capable of making a decision like that. So at some point, they are capable. And Romans 1 speaks to that uh, quite eloquently when it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So he's talking about people that are rejecting God. They know about God in nature. Well, let me just read it. Um, Because God has shown it to them. For he is his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things which he has made. So they are without excuse. So he puts it in a context of um, certainly God is sovereign to choose people who who are going to be coming to him. But the other side of that is people will reject him, too. So at some point. People will reject him. Um, And what age is that? Gee, I have no idea, but. Uh, Yeah, it's it's coming to an understanding of what you're actually choosing and not choosing.
1: Yeah. And one thing you pointed out earlier, Nate, when we were off the air was that there's no text anywhere in the Bible that we are aware of at this point that actually says an infant goes to hell. Yeah. And 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 to piggyback on what Tom just said, there's another passage very close to where he talked about that reveals the heart of Jesus towards children in that if if someone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone yeah. tied around his neck. So you get a little bit of an idea of the heart of Jesus behind that. And again, that, that helps you develop, who am I trusting mm. with the life of this person? When you understand how much he cares for little children, Amen. it helps you in those times of sorrow and mourning and suffering if you've lost a child that can help you continue to cling and to trust to a god who is that good who cares that much yeah
0: thank thank you for bringing that up i mean the silence uh particularly of the new testament in regard to this to me is compelling um it, it, because infant mortality was much higher back then and young child mortality was much higher and people loved their children just as much as we do and it's uh this this would be a question that would be on the hearts and minds of parents and if you know Paul or Jesus knew there was some rite or ritual we had to do to protect our child to make sure they went to the right place in the afterlife you know i think they would have been very clear and explicit on that so this the silence is compelling as well as You're right. We're not trusting in a proof text for something like this. We're trusting in the the character of God and what we see of him uh, revealed throughout scripture. So I think if I was talking to someone who was in this case, uh, I I would say they can be very confident that God is caring for their child and he will do what is right in regard to them and and for them to rest in that.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. To put it into a really simple way. Don't trust in a proof text. Trust in a person. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yep.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll move on to question number three. So if you guys were going to be moving away to a different state, let's just for the sake of argument, say uh, something really interesting, Ohio. All right. You're going to move to Ohio. You have to find another church that you're going to join because unfortunately that commute to Fellowship Bible Church is just a little too long for you guys. What are some things that you would consider when looking for a church? And I know there's Uh, you know, there's times in life people have to move. People move away from FBC. Uh, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're new to whatever area you just moved to, whatever, what, what should people be looking for considering when they're evaluating a church to join and commit to?
2: Well, I would, I would probably defer to Goldilocks. (laughs) So not, not, not too hot, not too cold, (laughs) not too hard, not too soft, you know. How's their
0: porridge? Do they do porridge instead of coffee and donuts? That's right.
2: Um, no, I think it, uh. Primarily, first and foremost, is uh, the evidence of the centrality of Jesus in everything that's done there in the people and in the message. Um, I I think there's many churches that you could go to that um, are are more social gospel oriented or just there to uh, have a party and sing and or it's about uh, people in general first rather than Christ first. So that's primarily the the one thing I would be looking for.
0: Randy, how about you? What's kind of the, some of the things, let's say you're Googling and you're, you know, looking on the, uh, the interwebs kind of doing your digital scouting of churches, what stuff would kind of stand out to you, or thing? I'd like to check that church out.
1: Well, uh, sort of to piggyback off of what Tom uh, just said, if the gospel isn't preached, if the gospel isn't lived, if the gospel isn't being carried to other people in the community, then the three most important things aren't being hit on. And uh, obviously you need to be preaching from the word of God. And we could probably make a strong case that, you know, book by book, verse by verse is, is primary. doesn't mean you can't do any topical preaching, but, but that should be important, but discipling people in a way That helps them incorporate every part of their lives uh, into being transformed Mm -hmm. by Jesus so that they become like him and what they say, what they do, everything about them. Um, And then being able to reach out into the community. So I would look to see what kind of messages are being preached on a Sunday morning. I would look to see what kind of body life. Activities do they have going on to strengthen the body so that they can be equipped to do the work of ministry? And then I would look to see what kind of engagement do they have with the community around them. And those would probably be the three top things because most of the other things will slip into the area of preferences, for instance, music. Yeah. Uh, Do they worship the Lord and are the lyrics solid? Uh, That's important. But do they sing songs that have the rhythm I like, the mus- musical instruments I like? That's not as important I, I know as you, all those other things. You like songs with a lot of hand motions.
0: I've seen you sing, Lord, I lift your name on high before. And it's almost like you're going to get worried about getting a black eye if you're standing next to you. That but, is incorrect. Yeah, I would heartily agree with all those things. Now, now moving down to the preferences category, for me personally, I would I would say, and this is a, a, a firm preference, is uh, exegetical preaching. And by that, I mean something that they're not just doing topical series all the time on, you know, this is 12 ways to improve your finances or what the Bible says about sex and dating or, you know, something like that. Those those, those are important. And we do those probably every year we do a topical series at, at, here at FBC because there's a, an advantage to skipping over and getting a broader view of what the Bible says about something. But in general, I would only feel at home in a church where they are going through books of the Bible start to finish balanced between the old Testament and the new Testament, because I just know that speaking as a preacher, it forces you to get off your hobby horses (laughs) and it forces you to to preach on texts that you would never choose to preach on and to wrestle with topics that, you know, clearly uh, through the divine inspiration of the Holy spirit, God thought were important enough to include in Holy scripture for the edification of his people. And uh, I just know there's texts that I have preached on here that I just never would have chosen. And I was edified through it and I trust our people were as well. So finding a church where they're going through books of the Bible and doing their best to really um, interpret the whole counsel of God and apply that to their congregation. The second one, I think this is important too. And you got it this Randy, when you talked about serving the community, but looking not just for a church that meets your needs, but going to a church and evaluating, am I needed here? did God move me to Ohio to be a boost to this particular church where they can use my gifts in a significant way? So do they have a means for you to get involved and serve? And maybe you go to a church and you notice, man, uh, they are struggling in the worship department. And instead of just saying, I'm never going to go to this church. Maybe you think, well, I have some gifting in that area. Maybe I can support them. And that, or you you go to a church and wow, the kids programs are not that great here. Well, have you taught Sunday school before? Have you, could you contribute to that church? So just kind of, Shifting your mindset a bit, it's it's really hard, especially when you're going to like, you're going to visit nine churches, figure out which one you go to, not to be evaluating it like you are, you know, well, your, your new favorite restaurant or just as a consumer, but thinking of, you know, God has brought me here. How can I contribute to this church? Asking that question can be important as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's exactly important to say, uh, this is not a decision I'm going to make lightly. I'm going to r- do my research. And, you know, a lot of churches have websites or you can find out, you know, about the the staff and the elders and, you know, you can find out their background. So, yeah, certainly do that kind of research. And, um, you know, we have uh, a lot of that information about us on our website. We have bylaws that yeah. are available for people that say this is what we believe. And, you know, if if you are uh, if you believe that this is a good church to be in, how are you going to compare to another church? I would take Those bylaws. And and here's here's the statement of of faith that that we lay out. And how does it compare to what somebody else says?
0: Well, yeah, it's a great tool as well.
1: I think it's a great uh, point you bring out, too, about just the tendency for all of us to be consumers when looking for a church rather than saying, what church does God? First off, what is a biblical church? Yeah. And, And finding that out. And then what church could I go and serve in versus what will be something I'll be comfortable with, or I will like the most. Right. Uh, Avoiding that is is super important. And then to jump back to something you said earlier, uh, occasionally doing, breaking away from book studies to do a topical study in the moment when you know your congregation is struggling with something, I think is super vital. Because the word of God has a lot to say about what's happening today. And it might not be In the book of John in this particular moment, and we might have to take a break to address those things or find some other way to address that uh, rather than Sunday morning. But I do think Sunday morning should be more driven by God and his word than what I think we ought to preach on or what topic or you or anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's a safer way to go.
0: Well, a great example of that was when, you know, we had the, the first shutdown and stay at home order a few months back with the coronavirus. And we were just, you know, plowing our way through John and we were going to do chapter eight, which is, this you know, pretty aggressive, dark chapter that talks a lot about the opposition and the rejection of Jesus. And he even brings in the role of Satan in all this. Yet here we are, a scattered, frightened people. So we took a break from John and Bruce did two messages in the Psalms. Psalm 23, Psalm 90, extraordinary messages of comfort, which is what I think uh, was a good and wise move for what we as a congregation needed to hear then. And then three weeks later, we got right back into John 8 aggressively. Uh,
1: Good example. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so it's definitely appropriate at times. All right, last question, guys. The last question of season one of Ask the Elders Anything. What is the best breakfast restaurant in the greater Tacoma Pierce County region,
2: Kathy Absher's house. <laughs> Elaborate on that, Tom. My wife is the best best cook in Pierce County, so by that, far, I can confirm
0: even, that. Yeah. I but don't think I've enjoyed any of her breakfast delights yet, but I just everything... had some blueberry
2: muffins this morning that were fabulous. So okay. Yeah. Uh, I would say for a restaurant, I would say uh, if you haven't tried. The pumpkin pancakes at the original Pancake House—you've oh, missed out. I mean, they are fabulous. Oh, um,
0: they are outstanding.
2: And Kathy and I also like to frequent Mrs. Turner's in downtown Puyallup. It's a—it's a very—it's a—it's very, it, been there forever, and it's just like community coming together um, yeah. on a Saturday morning breakfast. It's—it's it's really fun.
0: Menu is similar to uh, to Denny's in some ways, in that you get you can have the option of pancakes with thing, which which yep. is which is pretty nice. I've enjoyed Mrs. Turner's as well many times over the years. Mm -hmm. Actually, going back to the original pancake house, I had a a friend who used to go to the church. He doesn't anymore. He's an army ranger. But even when he would come and visit, uh, I just had breakfast with him there just a few months back. Every time he gets the pumpkin pancakes. Yeah. He just, I mean, he can't order anything else there. Whereas I've explored almost the whole menu at the original pancake house and it's delicious. And we are a little biased because we have many people in our church who are involved with that particular restaurant. But the food is Uh, top notch. Randy, what would you say?
1: Uh, I would second that if you're wanting the original kinds of breakfasts. But if you want to step outside of the norm, I would say Dirty Oscars Annex has some pretty amazing and different kinds of breakfasts.
0: How did I know that Randy would choose a 21 and over breakfast spot?
1: You cannot bring the kids to DOA. That is correct.
0: So don't don't pack up the minivan and bring the family based on something you heard your pastor
1: recommend. That's right. And you're going to be disappointed. That's, that's true. And they have very odd hours as well. But amazing breakfasts and different all the time based on yeah. what kinds of ingredients or uh, products that they have in that particular week. I've never had breakfast there, but
0: my wife and I live near Sixth Avenue. I've driven past there in the mornings many times. And for yeah, the, the weekend brunch, there's often a line outside the restaurant. Uh, waiting for that. I will add one more other than the original pancake house. I'm a big fan of the sunbreak cafe in Auburn. Now I know we're moving North into King County, but
2: banana bread, the Mm -hmm. banana
0: bread, they serve with everything there. Uh, I have a friend, a particular friend from high school that we meet there on a regular basis, you know, so we're, we're regulars and it is, uh, superb. You get their oatmeal. It has everything in it. It's very purple. So Anyways, I hope this last question was edifying for everybody. And if you're not like hungry and starving for breakfast right now, uh, you might need to make sure that you have a pulse. Noah, Marsh's silver spoon or... OK, our, our producer is OK. The old Milwaukee I have heard is closed. Have you been there recently? I, I saw there was a sign it back up. Maybe OK, it right now. I love the old Milwaukee. Marsha Silver Spoon is great. It's cash only, but that is a very much your dirty spoon. Like if it's one in the morning and you just need to get slammed with some like biscuits and gravy, you will not be disappointed. Just make sure you bring cash. Or hot tip, if it's too packed in Marsha Silver Spoon and you're over 21, you can go over to the bar next door and they serve the same food. Wow. There. Nobody is in there. OK, that's Laura's hot tip next next door. Again, don't bring your kids. But uh, yeah, and, and the old Milwaukee is an outstanding breakfast restaurant. It's owned by a couple the the, the the husband cooks all the food. The wife is the only waitress. And uh, just make sure you plan on plenty of time because I've, I like, even when there's not a wait to get your table, it can, it's not like a, oh, I've got 40 minutes before work. I'm going to stop in for a quick breakfast. No, plan on a leisurely, enjoyable breakfast experience. All right. I, did we spend more time on that than we did on the BAMA judgment? Perhaps. I don't know if that says there's something wrong with our heart.
1: But- uh No, something it right be, with our stomach. It must be lunchtime.
0: Yeah, that's right. So thank you for joining us. Season one of the Ask the Elders Anything podcast is a wrap. Thank you for joining us through all of this. We'd love to do a season two someday. Exactly when, we do not know. It might be released in the fall of 2024, maybe earlier than that. We'll uh, see how our scheduling goes and all of that. But please, in the meantime, feel free to submit your questions to fbctacoma.org slash a e a the ask the elders anything button you can submit your questions there and you know that'll probably help us determine uh whether or not we want to do a second season and, and when to do it if we're getting flooded with questions uh we'll see that you know there's some value to this and a demand for it and we'll probably be a little quicker with season two so please submit those questions and thank you for joining us all along god bless you